Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Oh, so much I want to say this morning. Oh, there's so much happening in that worship. So many things. Um, but I better stick to what I've got. <laughs> um, basically, last time um, I spoke, we started looking at the kingdom parables. And in particular, um, I only got as far as the introduction, really, didn't I? Because we looked at many things, and I felt that was really needed, because if you just take the kingdom parables on their own, they can be a bit like, that's it, that's it, that's it. Of course it's it. That's what Jesus said. Where else can it be? You know, if you want to interpret it, fine. But that's not what Jesus said. He said what he said, and it has meaning what it means. And so I felt it was good to take the time to look at who he was actually talking to, and what he was actually you know, how it actually fits in the Gospels. So we looked at the tie-ups in the Synoptic Gospels, and as all the Kingdom parables are virtually in all the Gospels, they must be important, as each Gospel was written for a different audience. Mark was written as pamphlets, probably to new Christians from Peter's eyewitness accounts. Matthew was, if you like, a booklet for the Jews themselves to reveal who the Messiah was and to be used in defense, as as in an apologetic sense, to those who weren't Christians at that time to explain Old Old Testament truths in terms of who Jesus' life it was. Luke was written to the Gentiles. He was a guy who never actually met Jesus. You might have heard about him. I don't know whether he was a kid. Like Paul might have heard about him as a kid but he certainly wasn't around the time Jesus walked and he was a kind of a learned guy so his research is very very reliable and of course he did go to many eyewitnesses um, for his story so we can take Luke as pretty much um, a true story um, second point was Jesus constant call to those who have now don't laugh Bob ears to hear did I get it right that time right I usually say ears to ear or something like that In other words, his constant call was for teachable people, for disciples, for inquirers. Ones who would uh, not let it just pass over their heads. Like the parable of the sower reminds us of those kind of people in there. We talked about parables themselves, what they're all about. Well, put in a summary form, it's to make spiritual truths clearer to hearers. It's to put truth in a form easily remembered. It's to avoid offence with hostile people who would not receive the truth. Just as we have today, there was them then as well. To declare judgment on those who are fully blind, to those who wouldn't even listen, wouldn't even pay lip service. Jesus' followers will understand the lessons taught by parables, or they will be stimulated to probe more for understanding. Those who have already shut their eyes and keep it that way will never realise the significance of what they are seeing and hearing, and consequently will never repent and receive forgiveness. Our privilege is in being in the New Testament times where Jesus gives us insight into Old Testament, what were then mysteries. That's why I got us all to say, we are privileged. We are very privileged. Such that if you held to the Old Testament exactly, you'd miss the fact that the Messiah would actually come twice. And of course that's where the Jews were, that's where the, the whole faith, the priesthood and everything was at. That's why he had to rip the temple down in AD 70 and chase them out the land so they could learn the lesson yet again. And we explored how Jesus not only said of his first coming, but he proved it by living here as God on earth. So not only did he say he was coming twice, 
and prove, he proved the first time by the way he lived on earth which of course they didn't see because their eyes were shut their ears have done it their ears wouldn't hear right and so they missed the fact that he was coming the first time the key points for us as disciples were the need for kingdom people to have hearing ears the need for kingdom people to dig into God's word become skilled in its understanding and see it as it's meant and to never give up seeking truth and revelation through the spirit of God the need for kingdom people not to try and guess God and we're all prone to that guessing God in the case of the Jews led to their, their belief in untruth which became established doctrine and which led to their demise and only 2,000 years later have they been allowed back into the promised land God hates divination so see it as it is hear it as it is don't go looking for the peanut trail it can definitely throw you off course so that was where we finished let's get on to this time there are 12 in total last time I was going to just look at Matthew 13 but they concern things like the sower the wheat and tares the mustard seed the leaven the hidden treasure the pearl of great price the dragnets the unforgiving servant the workers in the vineyard the wedding feast the wise and foolish virgins and talents they're known as the 12 kingdom parables because they all specifically mention the kingdom of heaven. And I think in all but one, where it's in the middle, generally Jesus starts off by saying the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of God in one case. There are other parables in Matthew, but they seem to be addressing specific issues. Things like the parable of the lost sheep. The parable of the two sons, the wicked vine dressers and the fig tree. But what I did was, I had this, I had this brainstorm. I thought, you know, there's a pattern in these 12 parables. Let's try and regroup them together. And if I could show you them, I would. Ah, there we go. There's the 12. So there's the 12 just as they appear. Now if we go to the second page, if we regroup them. Might have to... Uh, just scroll it down, please, Mark. Keep going, keep going, it's coming, it's coming. You'll see that there is actually a pattern, which quite surprised me. And there's actually a whole set of, well, way of doing life actually in there. Because if we take the 12 plus the four extra ones, we can see that there's a bunch of parables that are about the Father's heart. If you press control and, oh, I haven't got scroll. Right, if we, if we uh, look at the parables about the Father's heart, we can learn from the lost sheep and the workers in the vineyard. If we look at people's heart response to the good news, we've got the sower. If we look at the spread of the kingdom of God, we've got the mustard seed, which tells us how big it's going to be from such a tiny beginning. And the leaven tells us how deep it's going to be. In fact, it's going to take over the whole world eventually. There's another group that talks about the value of the kingdom, the treasure, the pearl of great price, those two are. There's three that talk about Christian character, or kingdom character, should I say. There's the unforgiving servant, there's the parable of the talents, and there's the parable of the workers in the vineyard. And then there's old bunch on the end times, on Christ's second coming. The apocalyptic ones, as they're known. We've got the wicked vine dresser, and that's where Jesus was addressing the Jews and telling them that the kingdom was coming out of their hands and it was going into the Gentile hands. We've got the fig tree. Which tells us as Christians we need to be aware of the signs of the times. Maybe if I do get another chance of another session I'll talk about that one. 
There's the wise and foolish virgins, which, re, which is about readiness for Christ's rapture of the church. Some people think Jesus is coming twice the second time. No, he doesn't. He calls his church out the first time, right, and leaves the world to sort itself out in its own system, the way it always wants to do, doing its way, right? While chaos is going on earth, he eventually comes back with us, with the saints, with the angels, and sets up his kingdom here on earth. And the reign is for a thousand years. There's the wedding feast, the readiness and the invite to the Jews that went over to the Gentiles. There's the wheat and the tares, tells us what's going to happen at the end of that thousand year period. And of course the dragnet is another way of looking at that thousand year period end as well. When all things that we've got now will pass away and we'll have a new heaven, a new earth and those who, under, who, who are Christ's will be with him. And the sad part about it is those who aren't, won't. I don't know about you, but like, heaven to me, I don't know an awful lot about it, but I do know this, it's where God is, and God is light, and God is love. So if you're not there, where are you going to be? No light, no love. Isn't that enough to stir us on to want to get involved with the football, with Tim? So flourish, we carry, where we have the opportunity to meet other people. We might not even have an interest in the speaker, but you know what? That doesn't matter at all. Because we're not there to hear for us. We're here to be there for them. The people who we serve. And when you think that someday that is actually going to happen, it is a grim reality. And for everyone who lives, it can only ever happen in your life because that's when you make the judgment as to where you're going to be. And let me remind us all, it's us who makes the judgment. We decide. Right, we won't be able to stand before God and say, well, nobody told me. <laughs> no, you've had all sorts of chances, all sorts of opportunities. You were responsible for sitting on the fence, not looking where, you know, what was going on, not bothering to find out. Nature itself tells you I exist. The universe tells you I exist. Scientists are only finding out what's in the universe. They can't tell us how it existed. All they tell us is that something came from nothing. Come to the laws of science, that's impossible. According to God's ways, it's very possible because he can do anything. Anyway, I thought it would be good to, to save maybe some of those sections for another time and to look at some of the things where we can actually get something out of the kingdom parables for our living today. And the three that I chose in particular, are we done with that now, Mark? Thanks. Um, was the, the kingdom character, the Christian character. The unforgiving servant, Matthew 18, 21 to 35. The parable of the talents, Matthew 25, 14 to 29. And the workers in the vineyard, Matthew 21 to 16. I just want to say something about the way that we read our Bible and the way we look at the Bible. It's all been sectioned up for us, hasn't it? It's all got like nice little titles. But if you look hard, you'll see that some of those titles actually come two or three times as a title in the middle of what Jesus is saying. So we can't just look at that bit under that title. We've got to look at the whole thing. We've got to look at the whole context of what was going on. So when we look at the talents, it doesn't actually stop at 29. It goes right on virtually to the end of the chapter. And we tend to miss that bit. But the one I want to talk about today is the parable of the unmerciful servant, which is Matthew 18, 21 to 35. And this is from the NIV. He says, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? He thought he was asking a right intellectual question there, because it seems that the Jewish way was, you forgive your brother once, you forgive your brother twice, you forgive your brother three times, but that's it. 
He's out of your life. You don't have to forgive him anymore. If he hasn't accepted it, boom, that's it, finished. So he thought he was being really clever and he was asking a really good question. I think it follows on from something about the children, if I'm not mistaken. About the one where the children came to Jesus. But Jesus answered, and this was where it was different. I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. In other words, as long as it takes. Just keep on forgiving. And he went on to say, therefore the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. A talent was a huge amount of money. It was enormous. I think it was in the, billion, in the millions. It was a huge amount of money. As he began the settlement, oh, it's good that bit. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay some of the debt. The servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, cancelled the debt and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. I don't know, about ten pence or something like that. I got about, about a quid. He grabbed him and began to choke him. <coughs> pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. It's only ten denarii or whatever, so many denarii. But he refused. Instead he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, the master was angry, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured. Jesus is saying this, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, until he should pay back all he owed. And Jesus said, and this is how my heavenly father will, teach, will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. It's a salient message. Let's pray see this. A king was settling his accounts and one of his servants owed him a lot of money, but he wasn't able to pay it. His master declared that he and his family be sold into slavery to repay the debt. The man begged the master to have mercy and the master did. The man went out and came across someone who owed him a much lesser amount and because this guy couldn't pay, the man had him thrown into prison. When the king found out, he went ballistic. And as the new King James says, and his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. The reason I've gone through that twice is because I think we really do need to hear this. If we're called to be Christians, born again through the Spirit of Christ to what Jesus did on the cross, and we want to walk in the right way, it's very, very salient to us today. In any day, in fact. But did you notice something in that parable? Because I, I thought this was amazing when I found it. The king actually lost two servants. Because two ended up in prison. Doesn't tell us the first fellow was let out. And actually, why would he be let out? Because the king didn't bring the charge against him. It was the other fellow who was now in prison. So the king lost two servants. And yet only one actually caused the problem. Unforgiveness.
forgiveness affects all parties, whether they are right or wrong. It affects and infects all concerned, and there are no winners, only losers. And if it's in the church, the kingdom loses. I don't just mean unforgiveness between people in the church. I mean between people in the church and the people out there who aren't in the church. The kingdom loses. Unforgiveness is a power to bind and prevent spiritual growth and kingdom extension. Jesus makes that very clear. This is how my heavenly father will treat you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. I don't know what that means but it doesn't sound very nice. The spirit of unforgiveness is referred to as the torturers in the passage because that's what it's like for those who need to forgive. Because they play the record over and over again and what they're going to do to the person who has hurt them and on and on it goes. No peace, only torture, only hurt, only angry emotions over and over and over the days and the months and the years and it becomes a prison. And it stunts spiritual growth. It might disappear from our mind. It might go away because we're no longer around those people. But are we still in prison? C.S. Lewis said unforgiveness is like a graze that gets scabbed over. But forever and a day we keep on picking the scab. Giving it room in our flesh so it never heals up. That's very profound. I just want to look briefly at binding and loosing. Because it, I think it comes just before this in that, uh, in that passage. We often hear in the prayer meetings, don't we? I bind this and I loose that in the name of Jesus. Well, let me give you another take on it. It's in verse 19 and 20 of Matthew 18. Yeah, it is just before this. It's the preceding verse to the story of the servant. It's in a little section dealing with a brother who offends you. It is not in a discourse on spiritual warfare. Hmm, that's interesting. It's actually in a discourse of how to physically bring release in a captive situation. And the consequence to heaven's plans if we don't do it. That act, Jesus says. It's not about, I've said it, so that's the thing. It's a predetermined, heart-motivated action. The verse is like this. Assuredly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth concerning anything that they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. Maybe it's really saying this. If you go in the Lord's strength and talk to someone who has offended you, and apologize to them for your words and deeds, even reaction to what they said, and forgive them. You've actually loosed on earth, because you've done something on earth, and it will lose something in heaven. If you don't, you've kept bound on earth, and so kept heaven bound, or bound in heaven. And just as both the servants ended up bound, they could have ended up loosed. To win-win. But one chose not to. And there were consequences. So as I said before, it's not just about saying I forgive that person. Because Jesus didn't say you could just say it. He said binding and loosing is active. It's an action. Many people, including Christians, are not exempt 
to go through their life carrying huge bitterness and hurts. And these things then become a bondage to their lives until they learn to forgive others as God has forgiven them. In families, how many times do we hear, I'll never forget so and so. I'll forgive, but I'm not going to forget. I'll forgive, but I'll never forget. Well, that's just a nice way of saying, I haven't really forgiven. If we're really truthful, that's what it is. I'll forgive, but I'll never, I'll never, you know, never forget. Really, we're saying, we're just going to keep playing the record. We're not going to forgive at all. When marriages go on the rocks, there will never be reconciliation unless there is a willingness to forgive. Then comes honour, and then comes the rebuilding of trust. In fact, when a marriage stops functioning healthily, it's probably the day when we're not going to forgive anymore. And every jot and tittle, every little demeanour is counted up, never to be forgiven, because it's proof I'm right and so and so is wrong, and that pride stops everything. And stops forgiveness. I mean, how can you forgive someone who is constantly knocking up runs against you? Proof that they're a bad egg. It's their fault. They did it. This is what happens. And I should have never married that person in the first place. My mother was right. My great uncle twice removed. Everybody said they were a wrong one. <laughs> it would never work. And look, look what's happened today. Look at hurt and pain I'm in. Because of him. Uh, whatever. And then it goes on. And look what happened yesterday. And two weeks ago on Tuesday. And, 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 and. And the record never stops. It's called self-justification. And, 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 and. And so it goes on. And God says, it stinks. Let's be clear about that. Pride, self-justification, stinks. I can forgive, but I'll never forget. That's what we say. It's easy to say things. You know, I've got, I've got a really good friend. We're friends since we're 17. I might have said this before. A lovely lad. His, his dad was a Methodist lay preacher. Full of God, his dad. He used to get us lads together and talk to us and do the Bible and stuff like that. And my mate, I won't say his name, right? I'm sure he was born again at some point when he was a kid. I wasn't. But the thing was that one particular day when he was 17, it was Good Friday. Billy's dad dropped dead. But it was also my mate's birthday. And do you know what? He's never forgiven God about that. And I remember him saying to me, he said, you know, he said, my dad would have loved to have gone on that day. But it was my birthday. He's never forgiven God. He's now my age. <laughs> he still won't. He knows the stories. He knows the truth. We have talks about stuff, but he won't move forward. Because God took his dad on his birthday. And he can understand that as a 17-year-old. But hey, I'm just praying. Or you might have had, or even have, have got now a stinky boss. I did once. He had an amazing way of keeping staff loyal. He just used to reject everybody as an individual and then play one off against another. <laughs> he had an amazing way of motivating people. In fact, before I went to work for him, we were really good mates. We used to do a lot of stuff in a voluntary organisation together. But then he showed me his management technique for motivating me. More sales! That's what he used to do. He used to walk into my office, slam his hand on the desk and scream, MORE SALES! <laughs> Boy, did I hate that guy. Whoa, my friendship for him took a big nosedive. I'll tell you. 
I'd be driving around the country trying to get more sales, right? <laughs> Getting business like it was going out of fashion. I really did. It did motivate me. I'll say that for the man. And I'd be playing that little record. What I am going to say to you. What I am going to do to you one day. Ooh, what, ooh, 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 and so on. I'm going to tell her, walk in there and tell him what I think. The beep, 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 so and so, the beep, beep, beep. I'm going to, who does he think he is? And I'd play that and play that and play that. Until eventually it would disappear and we'd all be buddies again. Until the next time something happened. The next bit of humiliation came along. You know, if you want to motivate me, never give me a bottle of champagne. Don't do it for me. Just tell me I'm doing a good job. That does it for me. We've got to understand people. Anyway, I'll throw that in. That's management training. His management style must have worked because when I left him some seven years later, my division, me, right, yeah, we were that big now, had a packing plant, packing 800 tonnes of edible oil a month. We had over 20 staff. We had ISO 9002. We had kosher certification. We had brand new Arctics on the road, drivers, key food manufacturers in the UK's customers, a new business in waste recycling that I developed. Never got part of, but that's another story. Right? A plant for that as well. And he was set up to take over the presidency of our trade association. Oh, and I didn't tell you, we were now turning over in five years four and a half million pound a year from start-up. And I started that division from virtually nothing. A little van and a man knocking on doors trying to sell veg oil to pubs. Oh yeah, it was bitter. I knew what it was like. And I knew that one day, God had opened the door and I'd just move on and we'd all just get on with our lives. After all, it was very clear since I'd recently come back to Jesus and received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, one day I was going to be moved out of Egypt, <laughs> right? And then entering the promised land, I was going to go on and do great things for God, you know. That's how we get, isn't it? It's fantastic. And that was like that for a year or two. And I, I, did, I did actually get the opportunity to leave the company. Actually, it set my own business up. And we were buddies by this stage, because, you know, you learn to live with things, don't you? We all learn to put up with abusive situations eventually. It does knock us out of shape, but nonetheless, we learn to live with it. And I was at a refreshing meeting in Sunderland in Ken Gott's church. Our business was going fantastic. Life was wonderful. We had money like we'd never had before. We were able to do all sorts in the church. We had the time to do it. We could get up when we wanted, do what we wanted. Still late when we wanted because the business was so straightforward. It was untrue. And we just wanted to follow God. It was an awesome time. That particular night, the preacher made a call. Come up the front if you want a deeper relationship with the Lord and want to serve him. Wow, that was me. I was up there at the front. <laughs> and then he added... And while you're there, ask God to show you anything that's in the way. So I said, right God, I'm stood there praying like fury, praying like fury. I said, Lord, show me if there's anything that's stopping me, get, you know, moving on, being the man of God that you're calling me to be. And all of a sudden I got this slideshow. As I'm stood with my eyes shut, I'm seeing all these people. And all of a sudden, there was this old boss, so we're now 18 months on, sat behind his desk. And as I'm looking, I'm thinking, oh, that's interesting. This big hair root comes across the stage, across the, the front of the slide. You know, the big root on the bottom, like a hair. And this voice says to me inside, root of bitterness, fix it. That is a scary moment. 
yeah Lord bring it on what am I going to do I haven't seen the guy for 18 months I mean come on what am I going to do but uh, you know one thing I've learned with God is that when God speaks to you and he wants you to do something like you know go to Nineveh and tell the people or whatever uh, or pick something that you really don't want to do I always say to God if that's of you God show me right and I'll do it and I had real peace about that went back to my place next morning sorry I went back to my place went home that night next morning funny thing happened I think it was about 7 o'clock I was suddenly awake and this little voice said it's today just like that and I'm thinking yeah it is yeah that's my sign isn't it Lord I've got to give him a ring because I knew he'd be in his office you see at half past 7 because he was always one of them sticklers so I got ready and I made a phone call and I got another confirmation because straight away this guy said you're not going to believe this I was just thinking about you last night I said right oh fine I said can I come round and have a chat well, yeah come round he said we'll have a cup of tea together I mean don't forget we were mates and then we were employee and employer and now it looked like we were mates again you know what I mean so I went round and we had a right good chat and we chatted about the old times and how things were going and all that because you know it was, I was pretty interested in what we were doing at the time and I finally plucked up the courage to say you know so and so I didn't like some of the things that happened to me when I was here and I got really uptight about it in my own way I sort of rebelled but I'd like to I'd like to apologise I'd like to ask you to forgive me and he said oh I said not a problem no worries so we finished our tea and I went home and I felt like a weight had come off my shoulders and I didn't even know I'd carried that for like two years until that night up in, up in Sunderland because I knew something in God had taken place some transaction had taken place that night you see the interesting thing is God actually forgave us and he expects us to respond just the same way that he's willing to do and that is to forgive everyone whoever hurt us whoever offends us we have a run in with whatever maybe even someone we put our trust in and they let us down you see I put my trust big time in that guy I was going through a bad patch and out of the blue he came into my life just after I'd become a Christian and he offered me a job to set up a business for him and thought about it, prayed about it, but it was the right one. I believe that because I could build a big business, I'd never tried it, it was my first attempt, but I knew it was in me, right, that I'd be well rewarded, and I wasn't. <laughs> so people do let us down. But you know what, that's our expectations. Maybe we should check our expectations. Maybe we shouldn't hold people accountable for our futures. Maybe we should take responsibility for our future day in day out there's those who hurt us everyone those who bend us out of shape because that's what we become you know if we're under this stuff for any length of time hurt, bitterness and all that it actually bends us out of shape so much so that sometimes we even have to get back even if it's only in the mind everyone who causes emotional pain and maybe in some cases physical hurt everyone he calls us to forgive you see we can say the words can't we and I've had this poked at me once well we say forgive us our sins and forgive those who sin against us every time we say the Lord's Prayer <laughs> and you know what <laughs> in Jesus' eyes for what he just said we can say the Lord's Prayer as many times as we like but if it's not said from the heart we might as well be said Humpty Dumpty sat on the wall because we're all heading for a great fall and all the king's horses and all the king's men won't be able to put us together again if you think about it 
We might as well say that. Because it's just as meaningful or meaningless. We can say anything we want. We can say I love you. But we don't have to mean it. <laughs> That's why I think binding and loosing is a physical act. And yet all the time we're doing that, Jesus, the master, is shouting, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? <laughs> Jesus was on the cross. <laughs> He'd done nothing wrong. He'd been set up. Right? He was tortured. Right? Lies were said about him. He had no friends. And yet on the cross, he didn't shout all that stuff out. You nasty, horrible people. He said, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Wouldn't it be wonderful if we could take that approach? Forgive them. For they don't know what they're doing. They're just human. Right? He forgave us heaps. Of course, if we don't follow that, the other verse kicks in, so my heavenly Father will also do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. But the good news is, Jesus knew everything that was going to happen in our lives, everything that is happening, and everything that will happen. And he's already dealt with it, and he knows how we're going to respond on the cross, so we don't even have to get angry, really, if we think about it. We don't have to get bent and twisted. All we have to do is give it to him. And ask him for the power to forgive. Because he says, whatever we ask in his name, he will do. So the Father gets the glory. We could ask him for the opportunity to put something right. Or we could ask him just for the opportunity, or the us what the way forward is. To set up a divine appointment. To set up whatever, if we want to. Rather than, you know, forgive us our sins and trespasses, we forgive those in heaven. That's not really wanting to, is it? It's if we want to. Because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. And if we can lay down our pride, if we can lay down our anger, take the red mist away and see through, through his eyes, we're all rotten to the core. None of us deserve to be forgiven. But he did it for us and he forgives us. In 2 Corinthians 5.16, Paul says, So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And all this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and wait for it, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Fixing things ministry. Fixing relationships ministry. So Christ gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us, through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin, for us, 
so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Through what he did on the cross, through him forgiving us, even though he was blameless, guilt-free, done nothing but wonderful things while he was on earth. He was tortured. He's already done the torturing. We don't have to take it anymore. Hung on a cross to die the most painful and agonising death the Romans could come up with. And it's recognised as the most painful and agonising way in the world. So that we could go free. How much more should we do that to others? Because we're all called to be ministers of reconciliation. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 